We're doing some studies on the life of Christ. We are now going to talk about a little fellow named Zacchaeus. You ever heard of Zacchaeus? I mean, he's heard of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee-wee man, and a wee-wee man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for to see what he could see. For the Savior passed that way, and he looked up in a tree, said, Zacchaeus, you come down, because I'm going to your house today. Uh, something like that. All righty. Turn in your Bible to the book of Luke chapter 15. The Gospel of Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at a few little stories that leads up to the story. Because the the story is really about the self-righteous and the sinner. And as you go through life, you'll always find the self-righteous and the sinner. People that they're righteous in their own eyes. So they think they're better than others. Then you have sinners that know, I am a dirty scoundrel. I'm a low-down individual. And they don't even want to lift up their head. They just, I'm just too bad. And then there's those that, I'm just so good. And there's all kind of varieties in between. But the two extremes is, I'm no good, and I'm very good. The self-righteous and the down-and-out sinner that knows what he is. So Jesus uh, talks about these things. And if you will, look there in your Bible to the book of Luke in chapter 15. Verse uh, 1 says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. Now, those are the down-and-outers. Verse 2, And the Pharisees and the scribes, well, there's your self-righteous hypocrites. So you have these two types of people. And many times those are the same kind of people that go to church too. There's those who are looking down their long pharisaical nose at other people and they think they're like Kellogg's cornflakes, just a little bit better than somebody else. Remember that commercial, these always cornflakes used to be a little bit better. Well, I used to love cornflakes. Oh, I love cornflakes. But now I love also, I love honey nut Cheerios. Anybody like honey nut Cheerios? And I, I, I love them, too. I can eat just about any kind of cereal. I love cereals. But my wife won't let me have too much of the cereals. But I love cereal. But notice what he's saying here now. These are two groups of people. And so the self-righteous, look at it, says in verse 2, The Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. See, they're judging. I mean, if Jesus was really who he claimed to be, well, he wouldn't be eating with those down and outers. But you know, Jesus ate with anybody. He ate with the sinners, and he even ate with the Pharisees. He even went to the scribes' home. Jesus would reach anybody. It didn't matter how bad they were, how self-righteous they were. But Jesus never changed. There were times when he would have to rebuke some of those self-righteous hypocrites. And he called them at one time. He says, you whited sepulchres. <laughs> Uh, that's not the best, you know, compliment in the world. And Jesus also, um, you know, we're talking about Herod. He called old Herod the fox. You said, well, you shouldn't say things like that. Well, he did. He did. He was the Lord. One time Jesus got mad in John chapter 2, and he took some cords in his hand, and he, he chased the people out of there and overthrew the tables. And, I mean, he was one mad man. 
And uh, he got upset because he says, you've made my father's house a house of prayer. You've turned it into a den of thieves because he knew what they were doing. And he didn't like what they were doing. So Jesus was what I would call a man's man. He knew what to do, when to do it. And so this is what he did. And so as you go down through here, I want you to look over there now, because there's two other illustrations in here. Well, we'll kind of bypass those and just get to the one that talks about in verse 12. See, in verse 12, the Bible says, excuse me, verse 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. A man had two sons. In verse 12, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he divided unto them his living. So he did. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. There he wasted his substance with riotous living. So we know we got one bad son, and we got another son. Well, he stayed home and obeyed his dad and did right. Well, the bad son, well, he got in trouble wherever he went and uh, did some bad things. So he was a bad man. Well, the other son, he'd always stayed at home and listened to his father, and, and he was a good son. So he had a, a bad one and a good one. Uh, just like we're talking about, you know, a self-righteous person and an old sinner. Now, the Bible says that Jesus Christ cannot save the righteous because they don't believe they need to be. But he can save an old sinner because he knows he needs to be. That's why he said to the disciples of John who came to look for him because John was in prison. He says, you go back and tell them that the poor have the gospel preached unto them. Well, he preached the gospel to everybody, but the poor received it. Because you see, he says, it's difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven because he trusts in his riches. Not because he's rich, but he trusts in them. A poor man don't have anything to trust in. So he trusts the Lord. He got nothing to lose. So you have a division all the way through Scripture. Christ says, I did not come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword to divide between husband and wife, between the families, between, you know, everybody. He, he, he would, he would, Jesus was divisive. But all of those who separated themselves to him, they were unified. And those that don't, aren't. So the Bible makes the statement that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And there's some people that know they're lost, and there's other people that don't think they are. They think they're good enough, and they don't need to trust the Lord. I mean, they haven't robbed the bank. Maybe they didn't, you know, they murdered anybody. So they're not as bad. But God says that we're all sinners. Everybody does things wrong. So he makes a statement here in this verse. And I want you to see this in verse 14. When he had spent all, there rose a mighty famine in that land. Isn't that usually the way it is? Just then you spend all your money and then there's famine. And he began to be in want. Well, if you spend everything you had. Remember, he, he could have stayed at home with his dad, had everything. He had servants. He had food. He didn't have to worry about anything. But, you know, some people just want to strike out on their own and see what's on the other side. Find out, what are you keeping me from enjoying? There must be something on the other side when you tell me I can't go here and I can't do this. You, you just don't want me to have any fun. 
You just want me to have a miserable life. And how many teenagers have said that to good godly parents? Because you have kept me from, I'm going to just, they can't wait to go wild. They get out on their own. And then they just fall into one problem after another problem after another problem. Well, this kind of happened to this guy. So he says here in verse 15, And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Now, this is a Jewish boy. And they, they wanted to have nothing to do with the swine. But now, look, he couldn't get any lower. He got one of the lowest jobs he could ever have. He was the son of a rich man. Had everything. And he made some bad decisions. And then the Bible says, look what it says there in verse 16. He would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. No man gave unto him. You see, whenever you go from the Lord, uh, you go down, down, down. It's kind of like going down a sliding board. Kind of hard to stop halfway. Most people, when they go away from the Lord, they got to hit rock bottom before they finally wake up and realize, what in the world have I done? And so this young man, the Bible says, he came to himself. He came to himself. In other words, these bad things that happened to him made him stop and think. So sometimes whenever you run from the Lord, remember, God has what we call a hedge of thorns. It means that when you try to go the wrong direction, it's going to prick you and you're going to hurt yourself. Anytime the Lord says, don't do that, it means that's going to hurt you. Because he loves us and we do things to run from the Lord. So we're going to hurt ourselves. And God doesn't want us hurting ourselves, but there's a hedge of thorns that he puts so that it will prick you and get you back to where you ought to be. God wants us always to walk with him, to talk with him. And so he says here in verse 17, And when he came to himself, this is a few things that he didn't lose, but anyway, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. Uh, hunger makes a man think a little bit. He doesn't have a job. Nobody would give to him. See, today we have people who do wrong, and then they get to go to a swanky you know, prison someplace, and they get the, the TV, and they, they get all the food and three meals a day, and uh, they don't have to pay back the person that they wronged. You see, in the Bible, if you wrong somebody, you had to pay, the person did the wrong, had to pay the wrong back to the person. Not to the state, they paid it to the person that they wronged. So they're not doing that today, and so I don't like some of the things that we do. I, I like Bible way, seems like it works better. But it says, how many hired servants and all, and I'm starving to death. So he says this in verse 18, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of the hired servants. Now, has he done learned a lesson? Has he done gone down to the bottom? He has wiped out. Now he's going to go and willing to crawl back to his daddy. So I wonder what daddy's been doing all this time. All this time that's passed. I wonder how daddy's been doing. You know, daddies usually love the kids and want the kids to do right. We want the kids to be blessed we want them to have the best in life, but sometimes they make decisions that they can't have it. See, God blesses obedience, but he'll chasten disobedience. 
So there's always these lessons we can learn. But now remember, there was two sons. The one son had stayed there. One son went away. The one that went away, he had to learn a lot of lessons. And he came back humble. He left pretty prideful, but he came back humble. God has ways of teaching us not to be lifted up with pride. You know, when you spell the word pride, the middle letter is I. And that is usually your problem. Because it's about you. And you get your feelings hurt. You get exalted in your own eyes and put down other people because I am better. No. Look what he says in verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and ran from him and didn't want him to come back. Wanted nothing to do with him. Is that what it says? In Luke chapter 15 and verse 20. But when he was a, yet a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran, fell on his neck and kissed him. Does it sound like a father who didn't want his son? No. Daddy loved his son. But he came back humble. And it says in verse 21, And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in thy sight I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Evidently, he didn't have any shoes either. Must not have had a robe either. He didn't have much. Remember, he just climbed out of a hog pen. I wonder what he smelt like. But anyway, he comes home to Daddy, and Daddy accepts him. Uh, it's kind of a picture also of the way we are and the way God is. That God is willing to receive us. Remember, they had asked the question, why does Jesus sit with the sinners because those Pharisees wouldn't. They wouldn't have anything to do with a young guy like this. He's not deserving. He's not worthy. But Jesus isn't like that. He's like a father who has a son who went astray and now he's come back. And there's, there's another son that he had that his son didn't leave. And so he has a problem. There's a self-righteous son who is a picture of the Pharisees. And so he says there in verse 25, And now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and he drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and he asked, Hey, what's going on? And verse 27, he said unto them, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was what? Joyful, excited for his brother. Is that what it says? No, it says he was angry. Would not go in. Now, this is what the Pharisees were doing. They separated themselves from, they're so much better. And the one thing that you and I need to keep in mind as we go through life, in God's eyes, we're all sinners. No one's any better than anybody else. Now, some people have maybe done more worse things, but in God's eyes, We've all sinned and come short of perfection, short of God's glory. So therefore, we should look at the Lord and compare ourselves with the Lord, uh, not compare ourselves with other people. Well, I'm better than her, or I'm better than him. No, in God's eyes, he says, we have all sinned. And so he makes a statement here, he would not go in. In verse 29, and he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. Yet thou hast never gave me a kid, that I may make merry with my friends. 
But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hath killed for him the fattest calf. Look how bad he is. And look what you did. It's not right. It's not fair. I've been here all the time. So you find out, okay, what was the problem with the son? I'm better than him. You ought to treat me better than him. But the father loves both sons. The Lord, I believe, loved the Pharisees, the scribes, and the publican, those old sinners. He loves the whole world. But you see, there's some people who think that they're just so much better than other people, and they don't, they don't need the Lord. Well, God has a way of showing us that we all need the Lord. And so he says in verse 31, And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. I will meet that we go, should make merry. It was meet or fit that we should make merry. And be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, was lost, and now he's found. Shouldn't you rejoice in that? When you care about somebody else, maybe they messed up, but don't you have a forgiving spirit, a compassionate heart? This is one of the things that you and I are supposed to show in our life is compassion for other people. Being patient with people who are now where you and I once were. We didn't know. Somebody helped us. There's a lot of people hurting, and we need to keep that in mind. Also, take your Bible and look at Luke chapter 18. That's a good chapter. Chapter 18 of Luke. And look in verse 9. Verse 9. Here's a story again about a, a self-righteous man, a Pharisee, and an old sinner. And you look in verse 9 and it says this, And he spake this parable unto certain which, get this, trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And what did they do? Despised others. See there? I didn't make that up. That's right there in the Bible. Jesus is telling this. Jesus says it. He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Because they don't see themselves the way they really are. You know there's a lot of problems with just pride and envy and jealousy. And sins that you sometimes you can't see externally. But there's a lot of people who have a lot of sins of the mind, but they don't perform anything. They can be just as mean and ugly and hateful as somebody who actually says, I hate you. And somebody else can hate you too, but they didn't say it, so he's righteous and that one's not. God looks at the heart, and the heart of man is deceitful. Everybody sins. Everybody has problems. Nobody is exempt. The most godliest person you know Still a sinner. The preacher, sinner. Deacons and elders, sinners. Even their wives. Don't tell my wife I said that, though. But look what he says here in verse 10. Two men, two men. You always got to have the comparison to, to teach something. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. See the difference? It's always showing you the contrast. A Pharisee. And in verse 11 he says, The Pharisee stood and he prayed thus with himself. Because evidently he's not talking to God. He's just talking to himself to hear himself talk. Some people pray but they're mimicking and quoting something. Or, you know, repetition. 
as the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, vain repetition. And he talks about making long pretense in prayer to be heard of other people. And they're not talking to God at all. It ain't nothing but a show. It's better to have a humble heart where you talk to the Lord and maybe nobody knows what you're saying. They don't hear you and you don't pray publicly. You just pray silently. But this Pharisee stood to pray, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. Well, isn't that a wonderful thing? I'm so glad I'm not like everybody. But you are very fortunate to have somebody like me. You are lucky. Does that sound a little arrogance? I mean, uh, egotistical? I'm glad we don't have anybody like that here. He says, I think that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even as this publican. I fast. Now, he didn't say Republican. Now, that's not a Republican and a Democrat here. It was a tax collector. Everybody despises tax collectors. How many of y'all are really in love with the IRS? Don't. No, we got a camera running. But that's tax collectors. Nobody likes tax collectors because they always, you know, they always want more than we're supposed to pay. And then sometimes it's so hard and difficult for us to be so godly and holy and, and then pay all those taxes. And we're always looking for a loophole, how to get out of paying more than my share. But anyway, he says here in verse 12, I fast twice in the week. Means two days out of the week, I don't even eat. I fast. And I give tithes of all that I possess. Now, is this being said so that other people can hear you pray? Look how great I am. Look what I do. And he says, I... Uh, I do all of that. And this publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now he knows he was a sinner, and he just wanted God's mercy. The other man prays because he's demanding from God, because look, I am so good, I deserve, I deserve. And there's a lot of people who think they're going to go to heaven because they deserve to go to heaven. And those other bad people, they deserve to go to hell. Boy, I'm glad I'm not like them. But God's word says, not of works, lest any man should boast. Lest any man should what? Boast. But what does a self-righteous person do? Boast. He brags about how righteous he is. A sinner if it wasn't for the grace of God and the mercy of God, I'd be going to hell. What am I today? I am a sinner saved by grace. And if you're not saved by grace, you're not saved. Remember, grace means unmerited. You didn't deserve to be saved. Nobody in this room or watching on the Internet, no one has ever deserved to be saved. We're saved by grace, unmerited. So that means that you do not earn eternal life by going to church, giving money, praying, fasting. All those are things that, oh, they might be nice to do, but they will not get your little pinkies one inch closer to the pearly gates. You'll go to heaven only because God loved you. He paid for your sins. And all you had to do to go to heaven was believe He did it for you. So when you believe He did it for you, He gives you eternal life. 
You did not earn it. You did not work for it. You did not deserve it in any way, shape, or form. So God will save the person that will trust Him. See, there are some people that God can't save. God can't save the people who are trying to save themselves. He'll only save those who trust Him because they realize they cannot save themselves. So you have people who are trying to save themselves because they think they can. You have other people who know they can't save themselves, so they trust the Lord. Now, which is the best? To spend all your life trying to save yourself, and God already says, it's not by works. Like a guy who spent 20 years of his life climbing the ladder, finally gets to the top and find out was leaning on the wrong wall. And that's where a lot of people are. They'll find out they have wasted their whole lives. Now, look what he says down here in verse 14. I tell you, Jesus says this, this man, referring to the sinner, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. To trust in works is to exalt yourself. To trust in Christ is to humble yourself. So there's a lot of people who are exalting themselves and you say, where are you going to die? Well, I'm going to heaven. Why? Because I go to church. Because I'm a deacon. Because I sing in the choir. Because I, 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 I. If it depends on you, you don't go. You only get to go to heaven if you have trusted Christ and Him alone as your only hope of going to heaven. Now, look there in the book of Luke chapter 19. See, we're just kind of moving right along here. In Luke chapter 19, you'll notice there in verse 1, there's a story given here about a, about a little feller. But now he's not just a tax collector. He's the chief of the tax collectors. Now he's the head honcho. What did they do that was so bad? Well, they generally collected more than they were supposed to collect. And then they would keep a portion without ever reporting it. So they were extortioners. They took money that didn't belong to them. I'm glad we don't have people like that today that do things like this. So in chapter 19 and verse 1, Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now, there really is a place called Jericho. I've been there six times, and I enjoy going to Jericho. I've even looked where the walls fell and, uh, and looked and saw the remains and how they, were, they fell out. All the stuff that makes it interesting, just like the Bible says. But there's a place called Jericho. And uh, you have Jerusalem, it sets up on a hill. And that's why whether you went north or you went south, east or west, you always come down from Jerusalem, down from Jerusalem. And if you're going into Samaria, you might come down from Jerusalem because <laughs> Jerusalem is up on a hill. Even though you went north, you went down. And down here, River Jordan, there's a place called Jericho. And Jericho, there's an a inn and have you heard about the, the Good Samaritan? There's an inn there. And they call it the Good Samaritan Inn. But Jericho, we always get on. The buses would stop and then go in there and they'd give you something good to eat. And so it was a nice little stop as you would journey around Jerusalem and all over the state of Israel. And you'd get a chance to see some of those things and it was good. But the Bible says he was going there. Entered and passed through Jericho. Look in verse 2. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, 
which was the chief among the publicans. And he was what? He was rich. He was rich. And he sought to see Jesus who he was. Could not for the press. That means they had NBC and Fox News and all the press that were there. And the newspapers, you know, Tampa Times, all the press. Now, because there was a lot of people there, and he was a little feller, and he wanted to see what was going on. But he couldn't see because everybody was bigger than him. So, being a smart man, but now he also knows that nobody there would like him. So, we maybe didn't want to be too visible. And what's he going to do? Well, there just happened to be a sycamore tree. So, he skedaddles up the sycamore tree. So you see what it says in verse 3? And he sought to see Jesus who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him. And he said unto him, and he called him by name. How did Jesus know his name? Jesus even said that about another guy in chapter 2 of the Gospel of John. Called him by name and says, I saw you when you was under the fig tree. And that scared the guy to death. Jesus knows everything. He knows everybody's name. The Bible says that he knew what they were thinking. How would you like to be around somebody that knows what you're really thinking? Wouldn't that be scary? I mean, if you really knew that I could read your mind, would you come to church here? <laughs> huh? <laughs> I don't think you would. Because <laughs> if you could read mine, I want to be about a thousand miles away from you. <laughs> but, you know, as long as me and Betty's been married, you know, we've been married and coming up in June will be 55 years. I think that woman can read my mind. I really do. I think that woman, she, can, she reads my mind. She knows what I'm saying. She knows what I'm thinking. And uh, it's amazing how that I'll be driving down the road and I'll think, man, I, I'd love to stop and get a cup of coffee. And she says, well, go ahead. <laughs> Did I say something? No, but you were thinking it. That's scary. But she has, you know, so many times she'll say things and I think, I just thought that. And then I'll say something about it. She says, Yankee, I, I said it first. She would say it, uh, but I thought it. And then she would say it. And then I would say it because I don't hear too good. She says, would you stop repeating me? It's spooky. But that's only after 50 years. It's no good up to that time. But here's Zacchaeus. Climbs up into a tree. He has to be a fairly young man because, I mean, he could run. He could climb. But um, he wanted to see what was going on. And so he says in verse 5, Zacchaeus, make haste. Come down, for today I must abide at thy house. I must abide at thy house. There's a few places in Scripture where it says must, must, must. You must be born again. You must be. So you must be born again. And now he's using that word must again. You must. He says it before in John chapter 4, I must go through Samaria. I must. Because there was a woman there 
that needed to hear the gospel. Now, one-on-one, -on -one, I need to talk to you. I'm coming to your house. I want to sit down and talk to you. And I wonder how he felt. Here's all these people, and they knew that he was a tax collector. He was rich. They knew it. But he was a sinner because look what he did. He collected taxes. Nobody loves him. But I guess, you know, you find out that God showed that he loved Nicodemus when he came. He didn't shut him out because he was a Pharisee, ruler of the Jews. The woman at the well had been married five times and was living with a man that wasn't her husband. He didn't shut her out. He talked to her. There was another woman. They caught her in the act of adultery. But to find, where's the man? They never brought the man. Well, caught in the act, but where's the man? Just See, that's the way people are. And Jesus says, go and sin no more. He's different than everybody else. When it talks about when the scribe had sent some people to try to trap Jesus, and they came back and said, well, well how did it go? How did it go? And they said, no man ever spake like this man. When we heard him, no man has ever spoke like this man. This man is different, and he is different. So he says here in, uh, in verse 6, And he made haste, came down, and received him joyfully. That means that he came down, and they went to the house, and he received him joyfully. And uh, whether it carries with it that not only did he receive him, but that he believed on him. So in verse 7, And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying, that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. <gasps> well, you know, were they sinners? They were sinners. But you see how divisive people can be, and they try to turn people against somebody else. Yeah, they were sinners. But he says, he's gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood, so evidently they had been at the house, sat down, ate, and then Zacchaeus stood up, and he says unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore to him fourfold. Now, whether or not he did this before he ever met the Lord, it's not clear. Or because he had been to his house and he heard and understood, and the Lord says, Today salvation has come to this house. And because he trusted Christ as Savior... He was saying that I'm going to make things right. If I take anything from anybody, I'm going to correct it. And so why he was rich before, it might have been because he took more than he should have. And now that he sees it and understands it, you see, I don't think Jesus told him that he had to do anything. There's something about when you trust Christ as your Savior and you know that you have eternal life, you know that you're going to heaven when you die. And you know that you can't lose it. I, I, I can't go to hell. It makes me want to serve the Lord because look how good He is to me. But if I had to do it, well, that's different. i got to do it. That's bondage. And the Lord's given us freedom. He wants us to serve Him because we love Him. Because of what He's done for us. And it's free. He says you can't earn it, you can't lose it. And that's why we often say the test of the gospel is grace. Being eternally secure is the gospel. The only way anyone will ever know that you're really saved by grace is that you know you're saved for eternity. But if you're saved and then you can lose it, then you don't believe it's by grace. Because you believe you can keep it by obedience. 
but you lose it if you're disobedient. So then your salvation really depends on you. So is my going to heaven dependent upon me, or is my going to heaven supposed to depend upon the Lord? I'm going to heaven because of what he did for me. I'm not going to heaven because of what I do for him. Now, for the last 55 years, or 54 and a half, yes, I serve the Lord, but I don't serve the Lord to get to heaven. If I don't serve the Lord, I'm still going to heaven because my going to heaven depends upon him keeping his word. Does God lie? He doesn't lie. If I trust him and he said, I'll give unto you eternal life, how long would eternal life last? Last forever. Well, if he paid for my sins, everybody hears this. He died on the cross and paid for my sins. Okay, if he paid for my sins and he paid for your sins, why do we have to go to hell and pay for our sins if he already paid for them? And most people never figure this out. He paid for your sins so that you wouldn't have to pay for your sins. He died for me. That's why I'm going to heaven. I don't have any sins to pay for. He paid for all of my sins. And that's the best news in the whole world. That's worth telling people about. But look what he says down here. This is so good. In verse 9, Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. And get verse 10, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Why did Jesus come? To seek to save that which was lost. You know this verse in the NIV is not even in the NIV. Isn't that a good verse? You would think, why wouldn't that verse be in the NIV if it's not in the NIV? But it's in the King James. Because you see, there's some versions they, they take out things. And I don't like it when somebody wants to do my thinking for me. I say, leave the Word of God alone and let me decide if I want to believe it or not. But don't tell me what the Bible says. Let me study the Bible. Let me understand what it says, but I don't want somebody taking a version and put it in their words telling me what it says. I want to see it the way it is and study it and see what God has to say. And I'd rather man just keep his little nasty little hands off of it and just give me the word of God. So this is what he says. Salvation is come to the house this day. Now take your Bible and look over there in the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 6. 2 Corinthians in chapter 6. And look what he says here in verse 1. Verse 1. This is on page 1234 in one of the church Bibles. Verse 1 says, We then as workers together... With him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. A lot of people put it off. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe next week. But God doesn't guarantee us a tomorrow. We only have today. We have this moment right now. You may not get a whole day. So if you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, I wonder when would be a good time to do that. Anybody got an idea? Right now. Behold, now is the accepted time. God will accept you right now. God will give you salvation right now. And maybe just like Zacchaeus climbed a tree, but the Lord knew his name. 
The Lord knew where he was. And he says, come with me. Does God know that you're in church this morning? And does he know your name? So if he knows your name and he knows who you are, you might need to know. He knows if you need to be saved. And if you need to be saved, when do you think God would want you to do that? Today. So can you do it today? Let me just show you something real quick. This is you and me. This is sin. We all have sin on us. Now, God says he loves us. Now, he hates what we do wrong, but he loves us. For us to pay for this sin is eternal separation from God. But God loves us and wants us to go to heaven. But you have to be perfect to go to heaven, and there's nobody perfect. We have all sinned. So there's no sense trying to say, I'm better than you. No, you're better than him. Are you better than her? No, we're all sinners. We've all sinned and come short of God's perfection. So because of sin, we can't get in. And because of sin, we all have to die. And because we all have to die, we all have to go to hell. But Jesus Christ says that you cannot earn eternal life. You cannot work your way to heaven. So this hand represents the Lord. He's Christ. Came into the world. He loves us, hates our sin, and he took our sins, paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead, and said if you and I would believe it, he would give us eternal life. If you'll believe that he did this for you, when would he give you eternal life? Because he says that the day of salvation is now. Except time, now. So when could he save you? Now. That doesn't mean he can, you know, it's a long drawn out process over the rest of your life. No. If you believe it now, you're saved now. The day I heard this was in a little old living room in Athens, Georgia. The very day, the very moment I heard it, I understood it, I accepted it. And God says, you're saved today, right now. And that was 54 and a half years ago. And I never have to do it again because how many times can he give me eternal life? One time. Once you trust Christ as Savior, he gives you eternal life and he'll never cast you out and never lose you. Let's pray, shall we? Head bowed and eyes closed. No one looking around. If you're here this morning and you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you just talk to the Lord and say something simple like this? Lord, I don't understand it all. I've got questions. I've got doubts. But I believe that when Christ died, I believe he died for me. And right now, the best I know how, I will trust Jesus Christ to take me to heaven whenever I die. And friend, if you will do that, God said he would save you. Save you right now. Give you eternal life. And you can know that you're going to heaven whenever you die. Would you do that? I'm going to ask in just a moment for you to raise your hand. But that's just to let me know. I want to have prayer for you. And if you're watching on internet, there's a, a little line there just says, yes, I will trust Christ as my Savior. Why don't you just click that on? And that just lets us know that you trusted Christ as your Savior today. If you've already trusted the Lord, you don't need to do so. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, is there anyone at all here to say, preacher, that made sense to me, and I want to be certain of going to heaven when I die, and I will accept Jesus Christ as my Savior right now. Would you just slip your hand up quickly and put it right back down? Is anyone at all? Anyone at all? Our Father, we thank you so much for your blessings. Thank you for giving us the free gift of everlasting life. We pray, Lord, your will to be done in the lives of each person here. And Lord, we ask your blessings upon each person that we want them to realize the importance that whenever the difficulty seems like it's just too much, consider him. Consider Christ and what he was willing to go through as he suffered for us. We're not paying for people's sins. Christ did that. But Father, help us to be willing to get that message to them so that they can have that free gift of everlasting life. So bless today in Christ's name. Amen.